This podcast is shareable. This show is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. To learn more about joining and to see all of our shareable shows, go to shareable.fm. Hey, what's up? It's Jeff. And I'm Caroline. We're your hosts of Shareable, the podcast about people and technology and the impact that those two forces have on our lives and careers. If you're a new subscriber, we want to thank you for subscribing. And if you're an existing subscriber, welcome back. We love you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Get on it. Now, without further ado, let's get to the episode. Caroline, I had an incredible idea the other night, and I have to tell you about it. Tell me about it. I set up a phone number so that our audience can call in and tell us all about the ways that people and technology have changed their lives. That's awesome. I know. It's great. And they could also tell us what they like and don't like about the show. So I'm going to give them the number. Hopefully, they're ready for it. 551-25-SHARE. I hope they call in. 551-25-SHARE? That's it. How else can our listeners get involved? That is a great question, and I'm super glad you asked about it. I set up a private Facebook group exclusively for subscribers where they can get access to our guests, all of our goofy outtakes, and even special events. Wow, that sounds awesome, but how can they get in? Another great question, Caroline. Just subscribe to our email list. That's so easy. So easy. Welcome back to Shareable. Today's guest is Jessica Pettit, and she is here to talk about how to build conflict resolution skills in a world of unfollowing and how to go about making better connections. So today we're going to look at social media and the way it impacts both our lives and our careers. Jessica is an expert that loves to talk about her message, Good Enough Now, which is a subliminal diversity training that allows people to do the best they can with what they have some of the time. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm glad that um, in addition to us connecting virtually, we got the opportunity to uh, to connect in person a little bit in New York. Uh, was it two, three weeks ago at the Phil Jones thing? Oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. 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 So that was kind of neat that like that, that just happened. <laughs> Very unplanned, but it was great that it happened. Um, so I'm really glad to have you on the show because I really dig this, this message that uh, you have about good enough now. Before we get to that, um, do me a favor. Can you just humble brag it up and introduce yourself to people who don't know who you are and what your what your whole thing is all about? Well, sure. So my humble brag is that I'm amaze balls while being completely normal. Wow. Uh, yeah. So speaking of Phil Jones, right? Like his uh, words with friends, he chose normal for me, which some people may think is a, a strange connection, but. I have been doing some kind of diversity trainings for the last 15 or so years, uh, burnt out, and listened to my own patterns of excuses as well as my audiences, kind of reinvented myself around that research, and am now more enfuegoed by my topic than I ever was before, regardless of political environment or what is actually happening on our social media platforms. Got it. Uh, well, as someone who works in social media, um, that part particularly resonates with me because it's so difficult to like step away from it and separate that there's kind of the, uh, the lens that you look through when you're looking through social media versus the lens you're looking through when you just kind of go out into the world and interact with people. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's, uh, you know, there's patterns, right? I'm all about patterns. Uh, 
newspapers were going to destroy our minds and make us stupid and we were never going to read again television was the same way i think ebooks were the same way and now we're blaming everything on social media when in reality i think what we need to do is take responsibility for our immature human behavior regardless of the platform that's um that's a tough pill to swallow i think because <laughs> some it's so easy to like point your finger at these things that are um, so present in our lives and, and can have such a profound effect on us. You know, there's so many studies about how social media uh, is increasing people's depression and this and that. And, the other. and I, I think it's tough to point it at one thing, but it's, it's certainly a factor. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely curious to hear your kind of broader perspective and how you look at these things in a, in a more positive way. Yeah, absolutely. Everything's rooted. I, I think it has to be in some degree of optimism or positivity. Otherwise, I think I would just stay in the fetal position, sucking my thumb all the time. Yeah, and, that's definitely a choice you have to make, right? <laughs> because yeah. I think we all have to make that choice of do we go optimistic? Do we go pessimistic? And then the collision between those can be really tough. Sure. And if I use this example a lot, so when you said swallowing a pill, it seems apropos, but I was raised by professional athletes turned personal trainers. And if we take it out of contentious topics, although exercise and health for some is a contentious topic, but if we take it out of like racism or just general hatred or bigotry or just being an ass to one another, if we look at exercise, generally speaking, we know that as a species, we're supposed to burn more calories than we take in. That's literally how you lose weight. And we spend billions of dollars on pills and widgets and sit-up boards and the new gizmos and apps on your phone and spanks to squeeze yourself into because we know what we really want to, we know what we really need to be doing. That's just the thing we don't want to be doing. So when we start talking about communicating and connecting with one another, again, regardless of whether it's a stranger at the grocery store, someone you have to work with every day who drives you crazy, or on a social media platform where you think you're using, I'm using air quotes, anonymous, the reality is, is that we know at the base of human connection is we're supposed to be kind to one another, but we would rather just complain that people are not being kind to us. And then because that expectation isn't being met, we're now justified in not being held responsible for how we connect with one another. No, that all makes perfect sense. So let me recenter this because I want to make sure that we go, because uh, I, could, I could probably get taken into a tangent where I bitch and moan about social media because I'm in it every day. So I could definitely <laughs> go down that path. And I, I, I think there's something far more important to, uh, to pick your brain about in the time I have with you. So I want to sure. get onto that, which is, um, tell me about what is, what is this kind of like message that you have? What is the thing that you're, I mean, you came here, we're going to talk about a thing and I want to know what you want to share, but what's, what's kind of the thing rooted in, right? So you mentioned diversity, which could mean a hundred different things to a hundred different people, but what's the thing you came here to share with people that you think is super important for them to know about? Well, when you said that my kind of mission in life is about doing the best I can with what I have some of the time. I think that not only is that my mission in life, but I think that that's where I'm trying to give people or invite people to have permission to do the same. And that when we talk about diversity, which interestingly can mean 7,000 things, but the 7,000 things what they typically have in common is 
really bad experiences of trainings that involve guitars and crying and candles or some kind of like guilt, shame, anger response across difference where there's not a lot, not a lot of communication or connection happening. All of that shoved together and then just for fun add a layer of icing of all the topics that your grandmother said you're not supposed to talk about. That's where I live. And I live in these contentious topics because if we can figure out how to have a connection across the most contentious topics with the most frustrating people, then we are more likely to realize how we are frustrating and how we bring a degree of contention into a connection. Then we can take responsibility for it and we can at least try. There's so many things, so many roads I want to go down. <laughs> so I want to pick one. So I think before we go down any of them too deeply, can you, you said there's 7,000, I, I mentioned that I think diversity can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. You mentioned you think it can mean 7,000 different things. Let's, can we just start real quick with how do you define and think about the idea of diversity and why it's important? Sure. So the, the one answer I would give instead of 7,000 is how you believe somebody else is different than you. So whether that is like the social identity categories of race, sexual orientation, religion, politics, age, nationality, veteran status, those are kind of the typical, they're usually referred to as the big eight. Mm -hmm. But I think that they're, it's the same skill set when you're having people over to your house for dinner and you have to remember to provide some an option that you know doesn't have meat in it or is gluten-free or your friend, my, I have a friend with really strict diet related issues. So she always brings her own food over. So I always have her come over a little early so that her food can be put on the table and look like everybody else's. Um, we use the same skills to adjust or to refuse to adjust to things that we think are different. Got to it. me, that, that's what diversity is. Why is it important is that if we don't recognize the importance that my experience, my lived experience is different from somebody else's and that we're not all working with exactly the same experience, if I can realize that, then I will engage in a conversation in a very different way. And to me, that is the starting point of having a better connection. Got it. Okay. So with that on the table, I want to have you clarify a few things for me because I think the message of this idea good enough now, like kind of doing the best with what you have, right? This, this idea that that's kind of what we're all doing. How does that intersect with this idea of diversity and approaching those conversations where somebody brings something different to the table out of those big eight or any other sort of thing where approaching it with a good enough attitude is that necessarily good enough when you're dealing and trying to bring diversity into situations for maximum impact, both at the objective level of producing results, but also in how it makes people feel? Does that make sense? My, yeah, I think so. So my challenge would be though, is that I don't think that's what we're doing. I think most of us either sit in kind of a nest of very similar, or we adjust ourselves to, to be kind of this common similarity that we're this group of people are all working towards being alike um, so that, you know, we click, I'm using air quotes again, or that we can somehow feel like we fit in. Um, we will adjust to fit in sometimes 
we may adjust a space to allow a new person to fit in, but usually we're self-absorbed and it's just about us doing what we need to do, which is why when somebody gets a new job, for example, pretty soon they all they will start dressing like everybody in the office, even though it's not necessarily a requirement. That's just what we do here, right? Like it's it's cultural assimilation to some pieces. The other thing without the similarity making piece is that we just opt out. And specifically when we start talking about social media as a metaphor, it is now socially acceptable to unfollow someone versus actually have a conversation that may seem like a confrontation or, or to be able to confront a reason or an issue or something that we might be having. We can now passive aggressively unfollow. They never find out. It still looks like we're friends. We're good. But we're starting to bring that kind of passivity to our real in-person relationships. So the idea of good enough now is to not wait until you're perfect, not completely opt out, and not create some kind of veneer of who you are in the world, but to provide a space for someone to actually show up as they are with the promise that you will actually show up the way that you are and you'll engage in a connection from those genuine, authentic places. So what then do you do when somebody on the other side is acting in bad faith? Because everything you're saying makes perfect sense to me. It sounds like an ideal world where people can show up. This is actually part of my frustration with social media in general has been that when I first got into the business, I saw this big, beautiful future where we could be open and vulnerable and connected and see people who for, for who they are and put aside all of the various differences as a means of creating division, but instead see that there's something uniting about all of us and yada, 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 hand-holding kumbaya. That's where I came from. And when I got to social media, over time, I've watched it devolve into this thing where it's just a shouting match of people behaving badly and oftentimes in bad faith. So when I hear a message like yours, I'm like, yes, I cheer from the sideline for it. And, and I do what I can to try and engage in a, a similar sort of approach, I assume. But what about when you bring that level of acceptance to somebody else and try to engage with an alternative viewpoint and then that person acts in bad faith? How do you deal with that either out in the world or in the workplace? Sure. I would say that what you have uncovered is what I would call an old school diversity conversation, which is I'm totally game, but this other person is the problem, right? Like we invited them to dinner. We invited them to the meeting, but they're not coming. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do is flip that inside out. So okay. let, let, let's take the concept of polarization just as an example. Mm -hmm. So we are being told right now that as a society, we are more polarized now than we have ever been in our entire lives. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Except it's not true. And what I mean by that is, is that historically speaking, depending on what you mean by polarization, I think on a number of different levels, we are actually less violent less hateful and less polarized than history would show. However, what is happening to a higher degree, I think, so Jeff, let's take you and I meeting in New York. So I will be completely honest. I was completely overwhelmed and the program that Phil Jones did was so good that I vaguely remember anything from that weekend because I was recrafting everything I do from a sales pitch way mm -hmm. and I don't remember. So I could be super awkward about this, or I could just say, oh, I don't remember. You probably picked up that I don't remember that. Oh, absolutely. Right. 
But because we live in such a polarized, polite way, I have the option of totally pretending that I remembered meeting you, which by the way, I don't, and I'm sorry. Or I can be honest and be like, I feel like I'm meeting you now for the first time. Well, that's exciting. My hair is a different color, right? When we say polarization, what ends up happening is, is Jeff, I'm like lazy. I'm in bed. My dog is slowly waking up this morning. I am not doing anything to polarize this conversation. However, it must be you that is doing the stuff to polarize it. So... I'm now dealing with you as if you are bringing a problem into the conversation before we've even spoken. So we're not necessarily entitled to the other person engaging with us in this way. So what we have to do is flip it around and that we have to take responsibility for who and how we are. So that I mean, I don't think I am doing anything to polarize our relationship. And to be honest, you're probably not either. I'm just being told that one of us must be. So if it's not me, this is how math works, it must be you. Now we have a much more difficult time connecting. So old school diversity trainings is waiting for the other person to come to us and be like, wow, I have seen the light. I am here to connect with you. And in reality, that's very unlikely to happen on a consistent basis, especially when we haven't done our own self-reflection work, our own noticings, our own viewing of how we show up both in person and on social media or on the phone or what on podcasts. When we take responsibility for who and how we are, then is when we feel really vulnerable. We can still be really curious we can present our authentic self and we can actually be generous to the other folks, which is like the antidote for this kind of sense of entitlement of someone to engage in an equal based conversation. Does that make sense? It does. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to ramble a few things off here. Um, so the first is that I read a book, uh, handful of years ago called the 100-0 principle. And it's this idea that for great relationships, you should go into that relationship expecting to give 100% and get 0% in return. So this idea that you take full accountability for a relationship. And I've always appreciated that sentiment. And I try to bring that uh, in, in most of my relationships that I don't have many expectations of people, but I try to, to give as much as I can to the relationship. And it's worked out very well for me. And when I look at, um, you know, quote unquote conflicts like like we kind of just described, if like an awkward situation happens, you don't remember meeting me, I could be butthurt about it and it, it could be this whole thing. That's definitely, um, you know, sort of the very common um, uh, conflicts and interactions that happen in a business environment or uh, in life where there's these little awkward things or maybe you have a slightly differing position on an issue. Um, and I, I believe in this idea of productive conflict. That is that, you know, to your point, you just addressing it right up forces a collision where we have to deal with that and we can better get to a resolution. So a lot of the things you're saying make perfect sense to me. And I think um, in, in the vast majority of situations, I can see them playing out where I struggle a little bit is in this extreme example case where it's like you're, you're dealing with somebody who is unwilling to engage in that. And it, the question becomes, you know, do you continue to operate with that compassion and empathy? Do you try to, quote unquote, win? Or, you know, how do you deal in those situations where it's like, let's say you're an LGBTQ and you're 
arguing with a white supremacist. You know, like yeah. that, that, that's like they're poles apart. And uh, the, the only thing that kind of creeps into my mind there that I, I think really supports what you're saying there in virtually that this works in all circumstances is that it's been shown that the best way to peel people back from these insular um, communities that, um, that are um, discriminatory against outsiders is through compassion and getting them to see that there are more similarities than differences. So I guess I, I would toss it back over to you. Does this fully apply in those extreme circumstances or is there a point where even you would say, you know what, this is the point to walk away? So a hundred percent, there are points where you need to walk away. And if, if I want to make sure that I drill that in, because if you do not feel safe or prepared, you do not have to fight this battle. And I believe that if you have trust or faith in the greater community, somebody else will fight this battle. What I find interesting, though, is let's take an LGBTQ person who's talking to a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. So a white supremacist could also identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, something like that. And someone who identifies as lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, etc. is also probably full or steeped of conscious or unconscious racism. Mm -hmm. So when we set that up, we set it up like, oh, God, that would be horrible. And what would happen if not some random stranger on the street that you don't have a relationship with who's like heavily armed and volatile and angry? You don't have to pick that conversation right there. But what if you were to have a conversation with someone that you do have a relationship with where you could meet in that common place to then talk about your differences? Right. So, so for example, when I started doing LGBT ally trainings as a professional, most of my audiences were straight people that coming to learn how to be allies. Okay, great. So then when I started working with actual LGBT identified people, what I realized was, is that our racism was the same as the straight people's racism that I was dealing with. So I adjusted my workshops so that my content wasn't just targeting one particular piece, but was tar targeting the complication that is one person's lived experience. I, I often say that we make judgments and assumptions so that we can feel safe and prepared. And I don't think that needs to go away. But what I think we need to do is be responsible for the patterns that we do feel safe and prepared inside of. And what we do with those judgments and assumptions may not always be 100% accurate with somebody else. Just because we feel safe and prepared doesn't mean it's real. Mm -hmm. But we feel safe and prepared, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that when you take most contentious topics or you take people who are diabolically opposite and different from one another, there is often something that you can connect on if you are interested in having a real connection with that person. That doesn't mean that you have to be vulnerable to every single human being. When I was in New York, part of the reason that I was uh, distracted, not only was the content great, but I was playing tour guide to a friend of mine that I, I believe that we are friends and we share an assistant and our uh, virtual assistant had never been to New York. So I used to live in New York. So I used to work at NYU. 
so I'm the tour guide doing this stuff. My assistant is super optimistic, super adventuresome and ready to go. And our common friend, the other client that introduced me to her in the first place, is the first time I've really spent time with what I think is fairly safe to say a conscious, uh, conscious, oh, <laughs> misogynist and blatant racist person. And because I don't spend a lot of time with people like that, I didn't recognize what was going on. So when we were at a pizza place grabbing a slice of pizza, for example, my friend who I can talk about sales opportunities, we can talk about Phil Jones's scripts, all the work that I've been doing with podcasts and he's been learning from that. We can talk on a business side. There we are at a pizza counter getting slices of pizza and he is screaming at the cashier because obviously pizza should come in a box. So he's flipping out. I can't figure out what's going on. I tell the cashier, like, it's cool. Paper plates are fine because that's how New Yorkers eat slices of pizza because you can't find a garbage can big enough for a box. And then I go out to the curb and his arms are crossed and he's acting like a five-year-old. And I was like, hello, what is going on? And it wasn't until a week later that his wife and our assistant actually were able to say, I've never seen a woman stand up to his behavior before. I didn't realize I was doing anything revolutionary. I've just never seen a human being treat another human being that way. And I was worried about my friend, right? So we can have a connection as a friend. I'm not gonna fix his misogyny or his racism or his classism or is just general state of paranoia in the world. And I can also respect him as a business person. That's when, after we had pizza, when we went to Trump Tower, where he was very excited to buy 2020 election things, um, at one point they asked like, are you comfortable here? And I was like, of course, it's, it's a building, right? It's no big deal. I did go to the bathroom there, you're welcome. But then, Four minutes later, we are at a cathedral, and they didn't think to ask, is this a comfortable place for you? Right? Like, my, my point is, is that our connections and the opportunities we have to connections, have real connections with real human beings, is that they are varied and gifts, and you get to pick and choose when you want to do them. And if you can be more responsible, if I can be more responsible for who and how I am in these patterns, I can pick it, keep the ones that I like, I can pick and edit and change the ones I don't like, and then there's this vast gray area in the middle that's usually pretty inconsistent with my belief systems, how I show up, etc. and that is my responsibility. If we can flip the quote-unquote diversity work back onto ourselves, we can at least take responsibility for the connections we are choosing to and choosing not to have. Let's tie this into, I want to I want to take everything that you just said and I want to tie it up in a neat little package here because Good I think- luck. I've been doing that for 20 years. Yeah, I know, but I think I can do it. I think <laughs> together that you and I can do this. Great. Because- you know, we started out the show talking about kind of what are, what was the ultimate idea and message that we were going after and then how would it impact our lives and careers. And I think we've kind of come full circle by taking it completely outside of business and then bringing it back into business. And your anecdote 
I think was really the, the glue that brought all of that together. So what I want to do right now is actually, um, I want to toss something back over to you to kind of wrap this, this conversation up into a neat little bow. And that's that I want to get a sense of what your thinking and your process and the method that you approach these situations of dealing in diverse ideas and bringing people together for um, the best possible outcome in starting from really thinking about it as a business setting. You're in a business setting, you're dealing with a variety of different people um, and whether that communication is happening offline in a meeting or whether that conversation is happening via Slack or text messaging or whatever it might be. What is the process that anyone listening to this can take away to be better equipped to have productive conversations that incorporate diverse ideas for the best possible outcomes? Great question. And if listeners go to goodenoughnow.com slash freebies, F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S, there is a, all kinds of free stuff there. You don't even have to buy the book or nothing. It's all there. But there is a simple flowchart. And I made it, it's completely uh, circular, it's not a linear process. That when you know, okay, I am going to make an intentional conversation or an intentional connection with this person, it doesn't mean they're entitled to play back, but you're going to practice your own skills, right? So even if they're like, yeah, whatever, I'm not playing with you, you can still decide you're going to try. So when you first decide you're going to make a better connection, that's step one. Step two is that then you are going to have an intentional conversation, which is separate than just a connection, right? I'm going to be intentional here. I'm going to make eye contact. I'm going to actually like address this human being as a human being. Well, the way to do that next is to listen. You don't immediately start with your face open. You have to actually close your face to listen to where are they at. How are they doing? What's going on in their lives? Just because you want to have a connection or an intentional conversation with them doesn't mean they're game, right? Mm -hmm. After you're listening to them as if they are wise, as if they have something to teach you, then you begin to form your message. You take responsibility for any impact, intended or unintended, positive or negative, your message that you have delivered to them has had, and then you reflect on how that is going to actually impact the connection you have with that person, and then you start over. Some people, I don't mean to keep bringing this up, it's just such a great example, but some people would be utterly mortified that on a recording like this, got um, somehow found themselves called out that they don't remember meeting someone less than a week ago. I believe by being really honest about it, like you could be like, I can't even believe how that's a possibility and then we're done. Well, but I mean, most people remember meeting me. I'm pretty unforgettable. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I have all kinds of scary color hair. That's usually how people remember me. Yeah, I um, tried my hair before meeting you. <laughs> the, the, the point is, is that I know that if I'm responsible for this, people don't like not being remembered. And I don't want that to go too long without taking responsibility for like my current stance. And you're a really interesting guy. I've been like doing research to get ready for this podcast, having no idea that I had previously met you. You have a really amazing 
perspective on how these connections can actually help and launch businesses and the connection and the intersection between people and technology I think is fascinating. So I entered this conversation today really excited about it and didn't even know that it was like our second time. Looking for how you're entering is really the best way of beginning to enter a connection. When we think of like the most contentious things possible, take away the stuff that looks polarizing. So even just quickly, if we take the last presidential election, most people who are eligible to vote did not vote. Those that did vote, most of the people who voted voted for somebody because they were not the other person. Okay, so why can't we talk about politics? If you either did or you didn't vote, and if you did vote, you're likely to have voted for someone because they weren't the other person. Now let's have a critical conversation about what a two-party system does and how that creates a system of voting for someone because they aren't the other person instead of voting for someone that we actually believe and care about. Like, that's how, that's how you do the best you can with what you got some of the time. I love it. I love it. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I feel like you and I could sit and chat for hours upon hours, um, but I want to uh, be respectful of your time and uh, tell people where they can go learn more about everything that you're doing. I'm going to put in the show notes everything that you mentioned, including the, the freebies uh, page. But if there's anything else, I know you have a book uh, and you're doing all sorts of different things. Please tell people where they can go and be social with you and, and check out everything you're working on. Sure. So goodenoughnow.com slash freebies is the place I'd mentioned earlier. Um, I am attempting to be better at social media. Um, I prefer real face-to-face -face conversations that I can like concentrate and actually build a relationship with someone. Um, yes, that's Alanis Morissette irony there. Um, I just got an Instagram account. I have been dragging my feet on that forever because it sounds like a venereal disease to me but I'm trying it out and that's also good enough now. Otherwise I'm in all the usual haunts and spots. Very cool. Well, like I said, it's been a pleasure talking to you and great to actually meet you for the first time. It's great to meet you for the very first time. Thank you very yeah. much, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. This show is great. And if I had to sum it up in one word, I guess I would say it's shareable. Ah, Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more. You won't find any of that in your podcast feed. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on Twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else. You can find Jeff online at jeffgibber.com and you can connect with me on Twitter at Caroline Stone because I don't have a website yet. So go ahead, call us, leave a message, subscribe to our list, leave a rating, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, tell your mom. If she's like my mom, she'll love it. And now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible. Shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song, Always, and Ahamitsu for the use of our outro song, Adventures. And a big thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value. And our lovely intern, Natalie, who helps me put the show together every week.